Missio Dei Mesa. Our world belongs to God, not to us or earthly powers, not to demons, fate, or chance. The earth is the Lord's. In the beginning, God, Father, Word, and Spirit called this world into being out of nothing and gave it shape and order. God forms sky, land, and sea, stars above, moon, and sun, making a world of color, beauty, and variety, a fitting home for plants and animals and us, a place to work and play, worship and wonder, love and laugh. God rested and gave us rest. In the beginning, everything was very good. 400 years, 400 years. 400 years, they'd been told what to do and what to do it with. They'd served their masters. They'd uh, done it dutifully. 400 years is a long time, isn't it? They'd been forced to serve the gods of those that they were held captive by. Oppressed by violence. Their babies murdered. Their workloads increased drastically. Their blood, sweat, and tears had developed a country that wasn't their own. And yet they clung to a hope that, that God was a good God, that God was a rescuing God, that God was one who delivered and kept his promises. And now everything had changed. Israel had been slaves, but now they had been set free. They had been under the oppressive reign of Egypt. But now we're on the other side of the Red Sea, liberated to follow Moses. They were able to serve Yahweh, the God of their fathers, 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 whom they'd heard of and whom they just experienced as a rescuer and a redeemer. But now on the other side of the Red Sea, as they sat there looking at Moses, their leader, he was about to introduce them to Yahweh, the creator, maybe one that they had never experienced before. How would they live as the people of God? They were to be formed, yes, by his rescue and his redemption. They'd experienced that coming out of Egypt and that miracle that it was in the Exodus. But what would it look like to shape all of life under this Yahweh's rule? Moses brings us back to the beginning in Genesis 1-1, and that's where we're gonna be. I think a lot of times we come into Genesis and we think of that as that's the beginning of the Bible. That's what people had at the beginning. Remember, Moses write this, a majority of this, maybe not all of it, but a majority of this, as people had come out of the Exodus to introduce them to the God that they now served, that they now worshiped, that they were now able to follow. I wanted us to uh, do the true story this series, and here's the reason why. Uh, I realized I was preparing, looking into 2021, saying, hey, what exactly are we gonna be learning together as a family? What would help shape us in a wise way? What would allow us to be more equipped as the people of God here in Mesa? And I realized if uh, you started following Jesus in the time that we've been together as a church, so we've only been around for two and a half years here in Mesa, and so some of you gathering online, some here in person, we've been around for two and a half years. There are a lot of stories in the Bible that you've never heard. You've heard of God, the rescuer. You've experienced him, the deliverer, because you're now a follower of his. You've been liberated from Satan's chains, right? You've been liberated from oppression under evil. You've been liberated from sin and its penalty. But we haven't experienced a lot of the stories of God together. Like you would have no idea who Jacob and Esau were. 
because we've literally never talked about them on a Sunday and they're kind of a big deal. Uh, you would have no idea uh, the flood. I don't know that we've mentioned the flood, have we? Kind of a big deal in world history, uh, a few chapters in. We've never mentioned it. Uh, you'd be very keen on the person and work of Jesus and the kingdom of God, which I'm super glad for. But if we're gonna be a people formed by God in this place at this time, I want us to be shaped by more of his story. And so it sparked in my mind, we should probably go back and tell some of the stories that make up the Bible, that make up the story of God. We're still not gonna hit them all. And so some of you are gonna have far more questions and we can't talk about everything that's in every story every week. Like that is a lot. And so you've got your lives to unpack the glory of the good news of Jesus. But we would like to be a little bit more informed going into 2021. And so we're gonna talk about some of these things. We also might skip your favorite story. And so fair warning, if you're one of those people that loves the obscure stories, like in the judges where the dude stabs the other guy and the fat comes out over his hand and it's just this gnarly story, or the lady with the tent stake, look it up. I mean, we got, it's in there. We're not gonna hit those ones. And so I'm sorry if we skip yours. You can read it in your own time, teach it to your friends. They would love to hear those stories. They're pretty amazing. But we are gonna be going through the Bible, taking 40 weeks of stories. Uh, kids, if you have the My First Message book, you're welcome to bring it on Sundays so that you can follow along. Most of the stories that we do will be in that book as well. And I would love to have us together be formed as God's people, experiencing who he is, what he's done, who we are, and then what we do through the lens of the story week in and week out. So every single week, uh, the text will be, I'm gonna use two big words. It's gonna be both messianic, it's gonna point to Jesus, right? Like every story in the Bible points to Jesus in some way. And so it will be both messianic, it points to Jesus as the hero of the story, and it will also be missional. That is, it is meant to equip us to be the people of God. And while every single week we might not parse that out with those two words and say, here it is this, here it is this, I would love for us as a church to go out and ask the question as we go through our week, man, how is this text, how is this story pointing me to Jesus and how is it equipping me to live in God's kingdom as a follower of Jesus? And if those are the conversations that we have as we drive out of this place, and as we think back over the story of the week, I think we will be formed as a more faithful presence here in Mesa than maybe we've ever been before. And that excites me. And that's what I hope we're able to do together as a church. So that's what we're doing. Sound good? Cool. Genesis 1.1. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. I'm going to read the entire chapter, which is long. I get it. Uh, but it's kind of a big deal. Beginnings matter, don't they? Uh, everybody from uh, the kid who loves Batman needs to know where did Batman come from? Why is Batman the way he is? What happened to his parents that made him that way? Why is he afraid? He used to be afraid of bats. Now he's not anymore. Like you care about that stuff. Uh, to people asking questions, where am I from? What am I here for? Uh, one author says that you can't ask, what are we supposed to do in this world unless you first understand where you are and what time you're there. And so for us, we're gonna go all the way back to the very, very beginning, Genesis 1. And I'm just gonna read it on here. And as I read it, I want you to listen with your ear bent towards this question. Imagine you're one of the Israelites sitting in the promised land or you've just come across the Red Sea. You've heard of this God. You've thought of him before. You've read the ancient text. You've heard your grandfather's stories as he talked about him. You'd seen his rescue. You'd seen the way that he had done battle against the gods of Egypt and completely annihilated each and every one of the false gods that they worshiped. 
and you've seen that, and you're wondering, man, what else is true about this God? How else will I experience him? And so as Moses gives us this introduction, ask this question, have it in your mind, you're gonna answer the question together in a second. What do I learn that God is like from this story? His character, the things that he does. What is God like from this story? But we're not there yet. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, that's code for absolutely everything, right? That's a totality statement. Everything that is, God created by himself. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Uh, God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And then God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated waters under there and the waters above it. And it was so. And God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning. And this was the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let gra dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land and the gathered water he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. And the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. We got... Four more of these to go, so hopefully I can make it through. Uh, and God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth. And it was so. A God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. And God set them in the vault in the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Uh, catch this real quick. So in the ancient Near East, they would very often worship the sun or the stars or the planets that they saw in the sky. And Moses, in writing this down, knows the context he's writing into. So he doesn't name the sun. He doesn't name the moon. He just calls them two lights so that you don't get it twisted from the outset that there's not multiple gods, but there's one God who created these things. They were created things. They were lesser lights. They were made by the almighty hand of God himself. And he wanted to make sure that in their context, they didn't get that twisted, right? That they wouldn't start to worship these created things. We said, no, God created them. He doesn't name them because these people just spent their lives worshiping these things by their names. And in that culture, when you named something, you gave it power to reign. The same reason that when you read through in Exodus, this is going ahead, but when you read in Exodus and it says the Pharaoh in the first two chapters of Exodus, you go through like five Pharaohs and don't even know it. Uh, because Moses doesn't name them by name so that their history isn't written down as they're the gods, but he just calls them Pharaoh every single time as if they're interchangeable because they're nothing compared to the God who is. But we'll get there. Um, so he doesn't name them on purpose. It's just a fun fact. Um, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water team with leaving creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. 
So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the water in the seas. Let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Uh, hopefully you saw something special that's going on here. In the first three days, God creates the containers. And in the next three days, he's going to fill them up. And so he creates the sky and then he puts stars in it, right? He creates the sky, then he puts the sun in it. He creates the seas, then he puts fish in it. He creates the land and then he puts vegetation and animals on it. And each thing, it's like this mirroring effect that he's making the container and then he's filling it up with what he wants to put in it. And God said, verse 24, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Uh, we're gonna go through human beings next week. Creation's too big to jam it all into one week. So this week, we're gonna spend some time on God and the things that aren't human in creation. And then next week will be the human creation. Uh, but just catch this, in a culture that would magnify men, right? The ancient Near, culture, Near East culture, there was a very big difference between being a man in that culture and being a woman. And so when God says he creates them male and female, he creates them, he's actually elevating the status of female in that story. Because much of the ancient Near Eastern cultures, they would uh, lift up the status of the man and say the woman's role was much lesser, definitely not equal. And so Moses at the beginning of this is giving you a different viewing of even humanity, elevating the two of them together, saying God created them equal in their image bearing. So he creates men and he women, and he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit and seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. A God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. I'm going to keep reading into chapter 2. Thus the heavens and earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Whew. I know that's a lot, but let's give some credit. God just created the whole stinking universe, right? So it's gonna take a little bit of time. But here's what I, I want you to think through. Uh, using that story, what would you say that God is like? Remember, you're coming out of Egypt. You're, you're coming into a new story. You're getting to learn the ways of the true and living God when you didn't before. And so now you have this chance, this opportunity to sit here and say, what is this God like? And this is the story that's gonna begin to shape that. 
And so let me just ask you that, turn towards a few people around you. Uh, if you just had that story, what are you beginning to see this God's like? Powerful, yeah. Uh, you see that all over the story, right? I, the refrain that as I was reading it came to mind where it stuck with me is like, it was so, like God says it and it was so. God says it and it was so, which would be especially potent for people who had been promised that God would rescue and he had rescued him, right? And they're like, oh yeah, like he's been doing that since the beginning. God says it and it happens. He's absolutely powerful, uh, more powerful than anything else that was created. Man, if just that alone, if we could get that and grasp that, um, we'd be so much better off probably than we often are in our day-to-day where we believe something else is far more powerful than God. What else? Detail-oriented. What part of the story brings that to mind for you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he uh, created the lights before people were walking around with no lights because that would have been a bummer. Um, that's, in the theolo- that's, in the, that's in the Hebrew. Uh, that would be a major bummer, I think is actually what it says. But that's so true, right? So detail-oriented. Like when you realize the complexity, and, and this is not going to do justice to it. So those of you that know far more about this can write blogs about it and then send it to the rest of us. But the complexity of creation is astounding, isn't it? Like what takes place when you breathe in and breathe out that you can't even control, right? Like the breathing in and everything that just took place in my body to enable that to take place, or the fact that you have sound going out and vibrating over this little flap in your ear that's then being translated to your brain, which is happening in real time, right? That you're understanding what I'm saying is unreal. Or you realize the complexity of creation. I remember being in Costa Rica and watching uh, ants walk across the jungle floor. And before you're like, bro, you really know how to vacation. Um, the incredible way that they literally go for miles in two-lane traffic, bringing uh, food, going out and grabbing food and coming back in miles across dense jungle. They literally had a two-lane highway going uh, and didn't matter that anybody was watching, not watching. Like the complexity that went into that little ecosystem of them taking small pieces of plant that led to a flourishing jungle was just astounding, but detail-oriented. He cares about particulars, and he does things with a purpose, without a doubt, which again would stand against the capricious gods of other cultures, right, who did whatever they want when they wanted when it suited them. This God seems different. But what else stands out to you? What is God like? He's generous. Where did you see that? What, what about the story astounding, isn't it? He hasn't, like, the humans haven't done anything, and they were just given this creation. God is a generous God who gives freely and abundantly more than we could ever even imagine. Like, this earth that he's just created, he just hands over to these partners, humans, which is incredible. Yeah, a generous God. Again, what are the gods of that time usually like? Demanding of you, not giving towards you. God seems different. Uh, last, I'm just going to go ahead and say it because you guys all thought it. Uh, he's a creator. Uh, like, like, like he's creative. Uh, he's imaginative. He does and creates and forms thing where there was disorder and disarray. He creates life that is flourishing in this place and then gives it to humanity. 
I'm not going to spend a chunk of our time on that Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 1-2. Some of you, like, that's your jam. You love that. Like, that's, like, those details of what took place here. I would love to have that conversation with you. We can uh, talk about theories of that. We can, I can send you some articles. We can have coffee and chop that up. But uh, the first readers of this weren't asking the questions, how did he do all this? That wasn't their question. Uh, Their question wasn't our 21st century mind trying to figure out how exactly this took place. Their minds were asking the question, where are we and what is this God like? And so sometimes when we we put questions over them, we're going to end up with answers that drift us really far from the text. Because again, you get chapter one is a telling of the story kind of fact for fact. Chapter two is more of a poem telling the same exact story. And then he goes on to what happens in the world. And so uh, I do want us to see that this world is God's. And we're constantly, just like those first people reading this, being invited in to worship lesser gods. Just like they would have been competing, the God of war, the God of beauty, the God of consumerism, the God of productivity, that they had just lived their lives under that reign. In the same way, when we come into the family of God and we have to orient ourselves, saying, what is this God like? He's creative. He's generous. He's powerful. He's good. He's imaginative. He calls humans in to be partners with him, which is mind-blowing. This was not the gods that they were used to, but this is the God who is, an uncreated creator, a self-sustaining sustainer generous, mighty, and seems to be looking to partner with humans in doing something. We're going to get more to that later. And then who, in a mind-blowing way, doesn't start off day seven. Now, here's what you need to do today, but starts off day seven with what? Rest. Creating space to be with those humans he just created. A God who wants to spend time with humans? Mind-blowing. We're going to get there, though. So that's who God is, and there's plenty more we can get from there. Ask the questions, be creative, be imaginative, look in the text. Who is God? But then what is this world like? And I want to spend a few minutes on here and give us a few uh, just different ways that we can look at what this world's like, because uh, we have, even within Christianity, really misunderstood what earth even is and why we're here. And we'll get to the why we're here, but where we are, we're going to deal with a little bit today. But before we get into that, um, I made my first open ocean rescue at age 12. So I grew up uh, on the coast in New Jersey, and we'd spend every summer and most of the falls and some winter days in wetsuits in the ocean. And so when you spend time around water a lot, uh, you get taught things like to look for different currents. Uh, Some currents are really nice and gentle. Other ones suck you along the beach. Uh, But the most dangerous ones that we were always told to look out for were rip currents. And maybe you know what these are. They're they're currents that form between, for us, they were a sandbar. So a sandbar here, a sandbar here. And when the tide was going out, the water would get sucked between those two sandbars and move at a really quick rate of speed and suck whoever's in it back out. And then you knew when you grew up there that if you get stuck in one, it's not the end of the world. It's not like you're in like quicksand and you're drowning and dying. You had to actually not paddle against it though because you'd get worn out and then sucked out to sea and they'd find you like a few miles out there. At least that's what my dad told me so we didn't do it. Um, But the goal was always to paddle sideways through it. So you didn't break the current by swimming directly against it. You actually just went a different direction and you were free from it. 
So I was 12 years old, and we were out surfing, and we had our eyes out, and we saw the currents that were pulling out and sucking people out. Uh, and the lifeguards weren't on duty yet because it was the morning uh, where we really enjoyed good waves. But there was a, a little girl who was younger than me who was out bodyboarding. So she was on her boogie board laying down uh, and catching the little shore break waves. And then she'd always run right back out into the ocean, and then it would wash her back in. And then she, but each time she got a little bit further away from where she had originally jumped in because the little currents were moving her along. And she didn't realize it until she went to run and jump in, and she hit the rip current just as it was sucking back out. And you could see in the look of terror on her face was, oh, no. Mom and dad are getting really, really far away from me really, really quickly. She didn't know the signs to look for when she was in this current. And thankfully, we were out in a little bit deeper water surfing. And so uh, we saw her going over, and uh, I paddled. I looked at my brother, and he was younger than me, so he's like, you got to go do it. Um, so paddled over and, like, shot my surfboard to her, let her get on it. And in my mind, it was valiant, right? I'm sure it was really, really weak swimming. Again, I was 12 years old. But in my mind, I was a full-on lifeguard doing a rescue, bring her in, and brought her to the side of the current and brought her in. Her parents were super grateful because they weren't paying attention and had seen their daughter getting brought out to sea. And they, as we were talking through it, that was one of the things that afterwards, my dad just sat us down and said, hey, let's remember why you have to pay attention to the currents you're in. Not just the fact that you're at the beach having a good time, but pay attention to the currents you're in because they can suck you out so quickly. And I'm using that illustration because we in our culture can get stuck in these rip currents really, really quickly. Culture tells a story about this world and why it's here. And if we're not careful, if we're not watching the signs, we will get caught in that rip current and sucked out and quickly be far from what God ever intended. And this chapter of the Bible is one of those chapters that doesn't just say hey, fight against that current, but picks us up and puts us in different water to say, that's not even what this is around for. So here's what I just want to give us, three rip currents of culture as we think through. Uh, the first is that dirt is dirty, but spiritual is special. Uh, dirt is dirty, but spiritual is special. Uh, if you're a Bible scholar, you would call this dualism or Gnosticism. The idea that what is fleshy, what is earthy, what is physical is less than what is spiritual. That spiritual matters more than physical. At the end of the day, when you have to choose one, and this has been taught a million different ways, and for many different years, uh, Christians have struggled to even accept the fact that they have bodies because they just seem like they always want to sin. And God would tell you, no, that issue is actually in your heart, not in your body, but we'll get there. But this idea that the physical is lesser, the spiritual is more. Uh, God does not create a world where you see that as the container for his creation. He actually says every step along the way, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. And then he creates the bodies for humans and he goes, this is very good. But again, our culture and oftentimes within Christian culture says, yeah, yeah, don't worry about the physical things, but worry about the spiritual. God's creation, I don't think we get that separation. Uh, the second thing is let's get back to the good old days in the garden. This romantic notion that, that the goal is to get back to the good old days when, when it was just so simple in the garden and people were able to walk around and frolic with God. And that was the incredible thing that we just want to get back to that day. But what we see in Genesis 1 is that that creation was an unfinished project. It wasn't a completed product. 
It was an unfinished project, not a completed product. That God had created everything and he had said, all right, I'm done with my part. But as you read it, he then gave humans the goal, the role, to continue to cultivate creation. And the goal was never to get back to the garden. In fact, when you go to the end of the Bible in Revelation 20, 21, you realize that it's not a garden that comes down, but a city. The goal was always to develop that garden, and as uh, one author says, into a garden city that would take place in flourishing. And the end of the story is not a garden again, but a city that comes down and is restored. And then the last rip current of culture is just you do you. So at the end of the day, whatever you do in this world, just do what makes you happy, right? You do you. There is no story that tells you what you should do. Uh, there's no overarching meaning to this whole thing. You're just here. You happen to be in this place. Do whatever you want to do with that. And again, there's a million versions of that. But what you see in this story is a God who's very concerned with how things happen. And he sets boundaries. And he gives breathtaking responsibilities. And there's a joyful involvement of humans in the work that God's doing, but it's ordered. It's detail-oriented. You don't just get to do whatever you want to do and throw caution to the wind or, or throw God's words to the side. In a few weeks, we'll see what happens if you go to do that. But the, the reason I wanted to spend a little bit of time there is because this is the water that we swim in. And so if you watch a TV show, it will very often have as a subplot one of these different storylines. Uh, when we sometimes come into the church, one of these storylines gets highlighted. When you're hanging out with your friends, uh, having the conversation, what, what's this world like? What are we even here for? Again, you do you, just be happy. As long as it's not hurting someone else, go ahead and do it. And God has such a better way to live. This story is a better story for what we're supposed to be doing and where we are in creation. And there's a beauty to that. Um, I'm gonna go back to this one. I'm gonna give you just two minutes. And so you can go ahead and send the chat, the online people there already because they get a little 60 second gap. But let me just ask you this. Look back over your last week. Just think back over your last week, seven days. We're not gonna go our whole lives. Uh, the last seven days and think back. Did you see or hear, have conversations where you're like, man, I see some hints of this in this conversation I was having or this story I was reading or this movie I was watching? Uh, by way of announcement, just so you guys know, as uh, people are coming back together in here, um, every week we're posting an online uh, just house-to-house -house home church liturgy. Uh, if you just go to the website, missiomesa.com, it's the first link on the top. And if you're like, well, why would I want that? I was here. Uh, I would just encourage you to do this. If you're looking for something to continue to soak in the stories that we're talking about, um, not just factually, but also prayer prompts, journaling prompts, um, confessions in light of what we've talked about, that'll all be accessible each week until Thursday of the week that we're studying it. So I would encourage you at some point, just for your time with Jesus, to continue working this stuff in or to get some questions to even ask around the dining room table. Or if you're like, yeah, I'd love to teach my kids some more of this stuff. There's kids lessons included in there. Uh, go ahead and click on that link and scroll through there. And that would be a great thing for you to do to continually recenter yourself in these stories. Uh, because my opinion um, and what I'm giving myself to is I do believe that the better vision that you have of God and of his creation, the grandness of his story, the more full our understanding of the gospel will be. 
I couldn't tell you the, the amount of times that I've heard or even spoken the gospel to people, and it doesn't start at the first act of the story. When you're like, what's the good news? And you're like, man, human beings are awful. They sin, but God rescues them. Uh, the problem is that when you start your gospel there, that's not where God starts his story. Like, sin makes no sense if you don't have a good God and a good creation that started the whole thing with. Like, sin and death and choices made against God make no sense when you drop in on the second act of the story. Uh, one author says that the reason that we have such a small view of salvation is that we have a small view of creation. We don't understand the extent to which God is rescuing not just people and individuals, but he's speaking good news and he wants to restore his entire creation at the end. We chop off both ends of the story. And I would love for us to be a church that continues to develop a robust understanding of what happened in these first two chapters. What is God doing? Who is he? What has he done? Who has he made us to be? Uh, that's why next week we'll be diving into human beings and what's our role in God's story from the very beginning and not even trying to jam that into this week. Uh, but I do wanna give us three invitations that are really practical. I prayed at the beginning and just said, man, I would love if these weren't just theories or ideas, but they were things that changed our lives tomorrow. And I think each of these three things are different doorways into that. The first is each and every week as we come into God's story, it's an invitation to repent and realign. Got a soundtrack. It's to repent and realign. Uh, Kaylee Ann had sunglasses, and they weren't bad sunglasses. They were Oakleys, uh, which are, tend to be, you know, a little bit pricier than the ones you get at the gas station. Um, but uh, I put them on, and I was like, what is wrong with these? Uh, the lenses were tinted a yellow, right? Would you say it's yellow? Sure, they were yellow. And, like, everything you looked at was not beautiful and crisp and blue and green. Like, everything was muted over with yellow. And I guess that's supposed to do something for your eyes. But I'd been wearing sunglasses, uh, a different brand, that were way more vibrant and made the colors pop. And when I switched because I was lazy and just put hers on, instead of putting my own on, I was like, that's not what things look like. Like Kaylee-Ann, and so for Christmas, she got a different pair of sunglasses because I couldn't stand that she couldn't see how beautiful the world was through her sunglasses. And so she's got different sunglasses. So if you're outside with her, ask to put them on in the daylight. Make stuff pop. It's amazing. But we had to switch brands of sunglasses because I was like, that, that is ridiculous. That is not what the world looks like. You need to put on some different ones that show you the beauty of the blues and the greens because those are my favorite colors in the creation. So we switched those out, and things look way different. Uh, we live in a world where our lenses are very often jaded by different stories, and we can't help it. Uh, we've heard different things about God. We've heard different things about the Bible. We've heard different things about this world, and they naturally affect the way that we look at everything looking out. And so every week, there is nothing wrong. In fact, there is something good with saying, where do I need to change what I'm thinking in line with what God says in his story? Like, that's a normal rhythm of human life as people in this world. Like, that's normal. And that's the invitation each and every week. A second invitation, and this one's super practical, to get outside and look up. To get outside and look up. Uh, if you ever hike with me, one of the things that I often do is I put my head down and just keep going. Like, I want to get the mileage. I'm not as concerned with what's around me. So Brad could tell you that. Like, Kevin, slow down, look up. This is actually a phrase from when we hike. And he's like, we were going on a long, like, I don't know, we had a, 20 miles planned out in our brains over a few days. And into that trip, we realized that we could only do about five of those miles. 
Uh, but what changed then from the speed that we were going with our heads down, trying to make it through, thinking we had to get 20 miles, when we realized that we were only gonna go five, uh, it allowed us to look up at these massive canyon walls and beautiful rock structures and the small little animals and the, the antler racks that are along the way, like all these beautiful things that were all around us that on the way out, I had just blown past because I wanted to get done what I had to get done. And sometimes in our lives, hear this, whether you're a student or a senior citizen, uh, we can say, here's what I have to do today and I'm just gonna push past it but I would encourage us to literally go outside. We are in the months that are beautiful. Our state is a beautiful one that God has fashioned that literally go outside and take time to be observant of the world that God has created. There is beauty in July in Arizona, but it's different, right? Like there's beauty in a pool in July in Arizona. But right now, there is so many spaces and places that you can go. Literally go outside, enjoy God's creation. Yes, designers, graphic designers, video game designers have given us beautiful digital worlds to go to. Architects have given us beautiful buildings to go to. But God as a grand architect and designer has given us incredible spaces as well. I would encourage you just go out and look up. Uh, that's literally this month in my journal. That's, that's the rhythm I'm trying to incorporate is to slow down and look up in my everyday life. Uh, both outside and inside in the work I'm doing. So that's an invitation. And then the third invitation is where this, this particular story ended, to rest. AKA, what would it look like if over this week, no, not just this week, what if this year we all cultivated the rhythm of Sabbath more in our lives than we had last year? There is something so mind-blowing about the fact that God had given Adam and Eve an entire creation to cultivate, all this work to do. And then, unlike any other God, remember, they just had so much demanded of. You remember the stories, make bricks with less straw, make bricks with less things, demand more, produce more, be more, do more, and then you are more, to have this God who says, no, 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 I want you to be present with me, enjoy me, Learn the best possible ways to live with me. Uh, God didn't take a break because he was tired like lesser gods did. It says he took a rest because he wanted to enjoy his creation, which includes humans. What would it look like if we continue to cultivate the rhythm of rest this year? What would it look like if we deleted the apps we needed to delete one day a week so we weren't just distracted every single day? Uh, what would it look like if we said, hey, this day is separated and different. It's holy. I rest and I worship this day as an invitation from God himself to have space and time with us. Uh, ancient Near Eastern gods, one last thing, were always used to having temples where they would go and worship. The beauty of the story, if you're reading along, you're like, man, where do I meet with this God? You actually meet with him in time, not in a place. His glory fills the entire creation, but he creates special time to be with that creation. What if we met him in those spaces? Would you guys pray with me?